You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. So in this season of something new, uh, we've been talking about what God wants to do in our lives as a community and as a, as a church and in our families. And um, we've, we've kind of taken a look at some people in the Bible that experienced a name change. And just talking about how, you know, the events that preceded that or what happened in their lives. And we've talked about some people like Abraham and Sarah and, and Jacob, who became Israel, and Simon Peter, who became Simon Peter, and all these different kind of people, uh, and kind of what was going on in their lives. And really, the, the heart of our message for, for this series is we believe that God wants to speak to you about your identity this year. And, and one of the things is maybe that there's some labels that have been stuck on your life, maybe from someone else or maybe by your own doing, but we believe that God wants to rip off those labels this year and change the story in your life. Amen. And that's a good thing today. And uh, this morning we're going to talk about someone who is the example for us that if, if God can use them, if God can change them or restore them or, or repurpose him or redirect him, then he can do it. Uh, for any of us. And today we're going to be talking about a guy named Saul in the Bible who becomes the Apostle Paul or known as St. Paul. Uh, but before that, he's a guy who, who's known by Saul. And I don't know how much you know about this man named, named Paul. I don't want to take it for granted that maybe you know his whole story. But uh, this Bible that you probably have in your hands today, he wrote two thirds of the New Testament. And next to Jesus, he's probably the most influential person when it comes to Christianity and, and preaching the gospel and influencing the gospel. And really the reason that we're probably standing here today talking about Jesus, we can trace back to Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. And he's an influential person. His doctrine, his letters, his words have helped shape our theology and the way we view and operate as a church today. He's our first missionary and he spread the gospel, not just to the Jewish people, but also to the Gentiles. He's an important person. Um, and before he wrote things like the love chapter and Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ or, or identify the, the fruits of the spirit, which are on the stage today. Um, he was a very different man with a very different name. Um, and really, I don't know how else to, to frame it other than to say that he was operating as a terrorist in the early church. He was operating as a terrorist. He was trying to imprison and trying to kill those who believed in Jesus. Um, the first that we see about him, we see in chapter, Acts chapter 7, we're not going to read it, but we see him there in the life and the story of a guy named Stephen who was the first martyr to the Christian faith. And the Bible says that as they're stoning Stephen, they're really, they're really frustrated with the Christians. Jesus has, has risen from the dead, and, the, and the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, those that are they're, they're, they're strict, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they're really stuck that, hey, this guy is not the Messiah. And there was two reasons why. Number one, they believed that because they, they were stuck on a verse that because Jesus hung on a tree, they believed that any person that was hanged by their death was cursed. So there's no way that a Messiah could come and, and be hanged or hung on a tree because he would be cursed. And they didn't realize that why Jesus came to die that death was to take on all of our curses. They didn't quite understand that. And another reason they were kind of frustrated and not really receiving Jesus as the Messiah that they were hoping for is because they were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And they thought that when the Messiah would come, that he would overthrow whatever oppression they were on, not realizing that when Jesus came, he overthrew our oppression to sin. 
and death and those kind of things. And so they were focused on that. And so when a guy named Stephen gets up and begins to talk to them about Jesus and say, hey, you've missed the point of the scriptures, they get really mad and angry. And they start to scream, and they decide to stone Stephen. They decide to kill him. He becomes the first person to lose his life talking about Jesus. And the Bible says that right there, a bystander right there, who the men who had killed Stephen, they came and laid all their coats down at the feet of a guy named Saul. And that laying the coats down by the feet maybe was a sign of honor. He's a bystander. And the language in the Greek says that Saul enjoyed watching Stephen died. He took pleasure in it. And it's the last time that we really see Saul as a bystander in this kind of act because from now on until Acts chapter 9 we find him. He is actively trying to arrest and kill and torture those who believe in Jesus because he believes that they are completely in the wrong and they are a threat to his religion and his way of life. Does that make sense? Giving a lot of information this morning to really just talk to you about some of the things that Saul can teach us today. But Acts chapter 9, I think the verses will be on the screen. We're going to read some of, the, some of these verses. verses. Verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any of the followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Will you guys say that sentence with me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Spoiler alert. He was surprised right here in this moment that Jesus was even alive. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they had heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. So Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him to the, by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Saul goes on to become the Apostle Paul after this encounter with Jesus. His life is forever changed. He goes from terrorist to missionary. And he is there in the Bible for us today. And I, I want to just pull out some things. He's there to, rem, to remind us that if, if God can change Saul, he can change any of us. And that's good hope today. No matter what you've come in here today, and no matter what your year, it's March 1st already. Can you guys believe that? It feels like this year is flying by. Uh, I saw a little bit of snow yesterday for like 90 seconds. Anybody else saw that? I think that's our big winter storm for the, for the winter. Some of you are okay with that. Anybody disappointed in that? Yeah, so we've got some snow lovers here. And so it is March already. The year is moving by, and we've been talking about something new. And I'm here to just tell you today that as we talk about Saul and how he became Paul, that God wants to do something new in your life. He wants to change your identity. What, what God did in Saul's life and what we're going to talk about in the next few moments is that he really just began to take off the labels that were put on him, his preconceived notions of what a relationship with God was, and he put on some a new identity and he completely changed his life. And if, I'm here to say to you, if God can change Saul, he can change any one of us. That's good news today. Can I get an amen on that today? That's good news today. And if you feel stuck, if you feel like, man, life is just going in a certain direction, if you feel like you're tied to something, to your past, God can change that in a heartbeat today. 
Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity today. Thank you that we get to open up your word and learn about you. And I pray today that our ears would be open to hear from you. Jesus said this all the time. If you have he that has ears, let him hear. So we know, Lord, it's not just our physical hearing, but it's spiritual hearing today. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us in the inmost parts of us, Lord, into our spirits, and that you would change us today. Give us courage today to take a look at where we are, what we're doing, and give us courage to obey and respond to you today. In your name we pray. Everybody said, amen. So there's four things that I want to talk to you about what happened in Saul's life that I think that can help us as God speaks to us about our identity. And the first thing is I want to talk to you about where Saul was from. He's from a place called Tarsus. And I've been afraid that I would say Tartar all week as I talk about this for some reason. Your past doesn't have to define you. Paul was from a place called Tarsus. Your past doesn't have to define you. Here's what we know about Saul. Saul grew up in the home of Pharisees. His parents were Pharisees. All that he knew was living a life, this religious life of studying uh, the word of God, studying the Torah, and interpreting the religious law and how to apply it. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, you know, we, at this point in, in life, we would never want to call somebody a Pharisee because of how Jesus interacted. Because now we associate that word with hypocrite. That if somebody's a Pharisee, they're just saying one thing but acting a different way because of how we know that Jesus was frustrated with them. But at that point, you know, prior to Jesus kind of calling them out, Pharisees were really regarded as the religious, the strict religious, the, the devoted people. And so Paul grew up in a city and in a home that was dedicated to this religious way of living, to really living by the law. Every little thing, trying to check all the boxes and do all the things. This is where Paul was from. He grew up a student of the Torah. He knew God's word inside out. And probably most likely at age 13, he left his hometown of Tarsus uh, to study under a famous rabbi. The, The word talks to us about that. He became a lawyer most likely. Some scholars believe that we can interpret some things about his history that he probably lost his mother at a young age. So there's all these things in his past. And just saying that where he came from, Saul of Tarsus, I think Jesus actually calls him this later on. Saying he was from Tarsus might be saying, hey, I'm from New York City. It would just conjure up some ideas of what that might mean or, or where you're from. And, and, and Tarsus was, a, was, a, was an alive kind of city, and it was known for, for its study, and it was known for uh, just being on the cutting edge of, of what it came to when it came to religious studies and those kind of things. And so Saul of Tarsus, that identity that he had of being from there meant something. But here's the thing. Sometimes we can allow our past or where we're from or who we are or who we're from define us, even when those definitions are no longer accurate anymore. Sometimes we're tied to our past. I'll tell you a story real quick. I was a couple years ago. I was in Tennessee and I was in a gym, and I was playing pickup basketball and with a bunch of guys I didn't know. And in between games, one of the guys came up to me, and he said, Hey, bro, where are you from, man? He kept just calling me bro and man a bunch of times. But, and he said, Hey, bro, where are you from, man? Where are you from? Because you don't look like you're from Tennessee, and you don't sound like you're from Tennessee, and you don't play like you're from Tennessee, bro. And I said, Thank you. <laughs> He said, where are you from, bro? And I said, well, you know, I live, I've lived here about 12, 13 years, but I grew up in Ohio. Bro, you're from Ohio. Where in Ohio are you from, man? Where are you from, bro? And I said, oh, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a place called Youngstown. 
And when I said the word Youngstown, his eyes got real big and his mouth dropped open. He said, Youngstown, bro, you're from the hood. This is the most random conversation I've ever had on a basketball court. I said, well, yeah, yeah. And he said, no, bro, I've been there before. Me and my cousin, and he started to tell me that him and his cousin went there, and I think he stopped himself because I think he went there for something illegal, and he didn't want to tell me exactly what was going on. And he said, hey, we went there, man, and that is, man, you can get killed in Youngstown, bro. Like, people murder. Like, people from Youngstown kill people. And I said, well, yeah. And So this is a true story. Before I could even respond to that, he turns to the rest of the, dr- the gym and says, Yo, my boy Dre here is from Youngstown. He'll kill you. So I wouldn't touch him. I wouldn't file him because he will murder you. True story. This is a true story. And the whole gym, I'm like, people are like working out and late, weights are stopping mid-sentence, you know, mid-air. And they're doing that and... And I just, everyone looked at me and I just kind of shrugged and everybody went back. And I'm just telling you, next three games, I was wide open. I had very easy shots. No one touched me. It's a true story. I don't know why I told you that. No, I had a point here to telling you that. Sometimes where we're from, people think where we're from can define us. And actually our past and where we're from. It doesn't define who we are now, and yet sometimes we still hold on to that. And people think about us, even when those definitions are no longer accurate. I don't know. And here's the funny thing. There was a lot of guys that I would see in the gym and I would nod to. And after that game, they wouldn't nod at me anymore. True story. True story. Here's the thing about Saul. He convinced himself of a normal that was healthy because of where he came from, who he came from, and what he knew. But it was an unhealthy reality. He convinced himself at some point that because he was so pious and religious that it would be okay to murder people because they believed differently than him. That was all about his background and where he came. And even though the the law and the scripture that he was interpreting did not allow for that, he allowed himself to go there in that. Paul describes his actions in this way. and He talks about, again, Acts chapter 26, verse 9 through 11. He said, I used to believe that I ought to do everything. I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I, just, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. We do this too, but we do it very differently. We aren't zealous to the point of murder. But sometimes we concede things in our life like they're supposed to be there when they're not, just because it's all we knew. Does it make sense? We grow up in certain environments, and, and we grow up in our families. And, and sometimes our families give us a lot of great things, but sometimes they give us things that aren't so great. And we say things like this. We say, well, that's just how it is. That's just how it is in my family. All the men in my family are just like that. You know, we'll say stuff like that or... Uh, my kids are just always like this in our family. Or that, or I'm Puerto Rican, so I can do this. I'll carry a knife. No, just kidding. I'm not carrying a knife. I don't know why I said that. Or am I carrying a knife? So here's the th- here's the thing. The devil wants to keep us so tied to our past, keep us in pain, keep us in generational cycles. 
That's his strategy in our life, is to keep us tied to our past when God wants us to move forward. God wants to move us out of Tarsus, out of beyond what we thought was normal and other places. God's plan for Saul was for him to go all over the world, be a missionary, share the gospel. And yet Saul kept returning to Tarsus and saying, hey, this was normal, but it was unhealthy. My parents, part of my parents' story, and I've shared this with you before, Part of why my parents are my, are, are my heroes is because they changed in their life what they thought was normal. Both my parents grew up in alcoholic and abusive homes, and it's all they knew. And when they got married, they brought all that into a marriage, which you can imagine would be painful and hurtful. Um, things that happened, like I, I don't even want to share some of the details I, knew, I found out later in life, of some of the things that happened in the home of my mom. And two people who came together who fell in love, and yet they had this, what was normal for them was fighting, alcohol, abuse. And a few years ago, my dad had open heart surgery, and I went home uh, to be there while he had surgery. And I went home, and I spent a lot of time with my mom, taking her back and forth through the, to the hospital. And one evening, we were in the basement, and we found some photographs. And I just started asking my mom to like about some of these pictures and my mom began to tell me some of the things I never knew about my parents and that, you know, up until the age of five when I was born, they were, there were so many times she said that they almost got a divorce because their normal was to fight and my dad's normal was to go out and drink. And there was a normal there. They had brought that in. They thought that was the normal thing. And she had told me, like, it was so painful and it was so, there were so many things. We didn't think we would make it. And at the age of five, my dad got really, really sick all of a sudden. He was 25 years old and out of the blue, he got, he got a sickness, and he didn't, the doctors didn't know what it was. And over a course of a couple of weeks, and I can remember this in my mind, just remember visiting my dad in the hospital, systematically each system in his body began to shut down. And my uncle tells a story that when he went to visit my dad, he was actually turned, he was gray, his skin color was gray. And they began to talk to my mom, who I think I was five, my sister was one, and said, you need to start preparing your life for the life of what it is to be a widow raising young kids. Doctors are telling me this. They're bringing all these teams of doctors in. They're trying to diagnose my dad, and they have no idea why he's seemingly healthy and his body is shutting down. And so the next day, they were going to life flight him to a, a bigger hospital, and basically they thought he had days to live. And the night before that, that, that helicopter ride, my dad there, my dad who had up, grown up in a church, he said, he prayed a prayer, and he said, God, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if everything I've learned about church is real. But if you're out there, I don't want to die. I don't want to leave my family without a father and a husband. And so if, you will, if you're the God who heals people in the Bible, if you still do that today, will you heal me? And if you will, if you get me, get me through this sickness, I, I promise I will do a couple things. I will dedicate my life to you, and I also dedicate my children's lives to you. I will get them in church, and I will, I, will, I will make this a priority in our household. And he just began to do what a lot of people do in those situations, began to just talk to God and bargain. And He went to bed that night, and when he woke up in the morning, he was completely healed. All the way. The same doctors that came to diagnose him came back to see the miracle. And in his charts, it, it stamped in their medical miracle, and no, which means no explanation that he was healed. And when he left the hospital a couple days later, he kept his promise. And he began to say, like, we're going to get in a church, and I'm going to get my kids in the church. 
And I think a big part of why I'm standing here today and not just being a pastor, but just loving Jesus here is because my parents changed their history. They changed what they thought was normal, what was normal to them, and they changed. Does that make sense today? All they knew was pain and abuse, but they decided to make a change. Your past does not have to have a hold on you today. Your sins do not have a hold on you today. If Saul can change, God can change our past. He can free us from our family mistakes, the pain in the past, the sin habits that we keep having. God can change that. Does that make sense? All right, second thing today I want to talk to you about is encounter. Saul's life is changed the moment he encounters Jesus on this road to Damascus. We have a saying kind of on our lexicon, like he's, he was knocked off his high horse. This is where it comes from. It comes from this passage of Paul on the road to Damascus. He's on his way, on his worst day. He's on his way with murderous intent in his heart. And Jesus gets in the way because he loves Saul so much. Encounter is where we learn who he is. And I believe that encountering Jesus is the catalyst for so much of the healthy change that happens in our lives. Encountering Jesus. I just told you the story of my dad's encounter with Jesus it doesn't have to be as dramatic as that. But just saying, God, you know, what encounter really is just saying, God, I want to get close to you. I don't want you to be something that's in the distance. I want this thing called the gospel and this thing called the Bible and this thing called Jesus to be up close in my life and to inform my choices and my decisions daily. That's what it is to encounter God. Paul now is known as the authority on grace, the apostle of grace. And grace is getting from God what we don't deserve. We don't deserve it. And, and Paul, Saul deserved probably a lot worse because he was killing people and torturing them and locking them up. And yet God extended him forgiveness when he met with Jesus. And so it's Paul, instead of encountering a God who hated him back or was going to point all the negative things in his life, he encountered a God who was full of love and mercy and grace. And he asked the question right there. And I had you repeat it when we read the scripture. And we talked about this last week with Simon Peter. He says, who are you, Lord? Who are you? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to us? That's the most important question we can ask ourselves every day. Is he someone that you know a lot of facts about? Is he someone that you just talk about on Sundays? Or is he, this, is he somebody that you have a relationship with that's informing all the other parts of your life? Saul knew who Jesus was, but he only knew about him, or at least what he thought to be true about him. He got up close. That's what encounter is. It's getting close. It's closing the distance from just knowing facts to really getting Jesus' impact in in on your life. There's been a couple interesting stories. I was trying to think of a comparison of how could we talk about like a modern-day Saul or Paul. And a lot of people like make comparisons. Like it'd be like if, you know, Osama bin Laden had given his heart to Jesus or or something like that. But I've I've heard some stories in, in, in... recently about some celebrities i'm going to put their pictures up today and uh there's two celebrities and I, you know and just these pictures probably invoke emotions about what you feel about these guys um but if you don't know who these are on the left is justin bieber on the right is a guy named kanye west and just in the last year these guys have talked openly about them encountering a relationship with jesus it's been interesting because um, in the music business, and the celebrity goes, these are some of the most famous celebrities that we have on the earth today. And I'm like a, I'm a hip-hop fan, you know, because I'm from Youngstown. 
So I'm the life tree of, you know, official hip hop, you know, I don't know, representative. You know, if you, and by the way, like, don't ask Dan about hip hop, but like, ask Anna about hip hop. 90s, Nan, Anna is like, she has all these great, like, she'll just bust out songs and dances, just 90s hip hop and R&B. Anna is our, our specialty here. And so that has nothing, that wasn't in my notes, Anna, sorry. So I've been fascinated, and, and as a music fan, I've, I've kind of liked their music, and, and I've teased them and made fun of them over the years. But as a hip-hop fan, I've always liked Kanye, even if I couldn't like his content. Uh, he's really considered a genius at what he does and maybe considered the best ever in that genre. Justin Bieber can, you know, is, is a celebrity who's been around in our lives, like it or not, since he's been like 10 years old, 11 years old. And Bieber fever, right? And so... Um, we have some believers in the crowd. All right. Mel? I don't Mel? No. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So, but here's what's happened. Here's what's happened over this year. These two guys have been, have been open about where they are in life and just saying, like, even though we've had fame and success and we've had all the money and the adoration that we could have, it wasn't, it was making us feel empty. I, I heard Justin Bieber's manager talk recently that he just said, like, this guy has been worshipped Worshipped, he's the word he used, since he was 12 years old. And really, as a human, we're not meant to be worshipped. And it is, it's been too much for him to be worshipped. And so just, he's been open about turning to drugs and, and women and those kind of things and just saying, like, I had all the riches and all the adoration, but it was empty. Kanye, same way, a lot of money, a lot of fame, a lot of adoration, you know, married a celebrity wife, all those things, and just saying, like, I'm at, at the end of the night, I go home lonely and I'm addicted to pornography. But both of these guys in the last year, both grew up in the church, have talked about how they've encountered a real relationship with Jesus and what it's done to them. Now, I don't know. You know, some people are a little skeptical, about like, hey, maybe this is, maybe this is a media stunt or whatever. So I'm, I can't really sit here and vouch for these guys because I don't know them. There are pastors that I trust and I follow and I, I, I know that I are credible that say, hey, these guys that are in their lives and saying, hey, these guys have been on this journey for a while and it's legit. But, I, but this, this is the journey that I can imagine. This is like Saul turning into Paul. And they're just saying like, hey, we've encountered a love and a grace and mercy and it's changed our lives and we want to tell people about it. And here's the thing for us. We are forever called to a lifestyle of encounter. This is what we are as Christians. Our job every day is to encounter Jesus the way that we can. We gave you these earlier in the year, and we haven't maybe talked about it in a couple of weeks, but the high five is just a pathway for encounter with God every day. I want to encourage you to, to make sure that you're doing that. Make sure that you're praying. Read God's word. Learn the value of spending time worshiping God and singing songs to him. A lifestyle of encounter. That's the thing that changes everything in our lives. When we really get up close to Jesus and let him in, all right, you can take those guys down. <laughs> They're awesome. I won't sing anything, I promise. All right, third thing is Ananias. Ananias, there's a guy named Ananias that shows up in Saul's story, and really it's a reminder that we can't do this alone. We want to really know who we are and want to get rid of the labels that have been placed on us or the labels that we've allowed ourselves to be stuck or our past and know who our identity is, is that we need an Ananias just like Paul had an Ananias, or Saul had an Ananias. Part of the process of Saul transforming to the Apostle Paul involved the help of others. 
Acts 9, verses 10 through 19. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so he can see again. I love, this. I love how Ananias responds. He doesn't say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. He goes, he's trying to convince God. He's trying to say, God, are you sure about this? But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Meaning, I don't want to be arrested if I show up there by this guy. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and the kings as well as the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up, was baptized, and afterward he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul does not become Paul without the help of Ananias. Later on in the chapter, there's a guy named Barnabas who is called the son of encouragement, and he actually takes Saul and brings him to the apostles, Peter and the disciples, and says, hey, he's legit. I'm vouching for him. And I just want to tell you, in that transformation process, Saul doesn't become Paul without the help of these guys in their lives. And in our lives, we do not become who we're supposed to be without the help of others. I don't understand it. It's the way that God has ordained it. But there's something about relationship in this community of faith that changes us when we get up close to people, that gives us perspective. It says that he got up close, he laid hands on him. I wonder if he thought, like, maybe I should try to choke him. You know, like, I wonder if he had, like, the. I'm from Youngstown, so he had those thoughts. But he laid hands on him, and the Bible says that his, the scale, like, scales fell off his eyes. That's what happens when we invite people into our lives. It's like they give us new sight and new perspective into some of the things that are going on in our lives. Um, you need Peter. It says that he prayed for him. It says that Saul was in that house blind, not eating for days, praying. And it's amazing sometimes that we, you, know, you need to pray for you. You need people to pray for you. And one of the things that he did is he walked up to him, and he doesn't say, Mr. Saul. He doesn't, he doesn't call him names, which he had been in right to. He's probably imprisoning his friends and hurting his friends. But he comes up to him and says, Brother Saul. And immediately he says, Hey, hey man, you're part of the family. We need to be willing um, for the Sauls in our lives to do that. I could give you a list of the people in my life. And the reality is you really never graduate from having Ananias in your life. You need people always to be just coming up close and saying, Hey, what can I do for you? How can I pray for you? How can I encounter? You know, we encounter God, but we also encounter people. Um, those in our communities who need us to stand with them to get their backs when their reputation is falling, we get to be Ananias for Saul's too. And that's the cool thing about this faith. We get to be those people. There's people in our lives that you are the answer to their prayer. You're the answer. They've been praying. They need, a way, they need a help. They don't know there's people on your job. There's people in this church. There's people in this community. And they have no idea what's happening they just know that they feel empty, and they've been praying for something, and you're walking right by them, and they need you to say, hey, your family, let me come around you. Let me pray for you. 
I'll be your Ananias today. Who are you helping right now to see what their true identity is? Who are you being involved with and being up close? That's why it's so important for us. Can I, can I just give you a little commercial for a second? That's why it's so important to be here on Sundays. That's what happens on Sundays here when we come together, is that we get to share with each other and we get to live life together. That's why it's important to get in a branch, a branches group, because that's where life happens, even when it's not convenient. Can I tell you, parents, it's so important to get your kids involved in this faith community. Some of you do a great job. Some of you, and and it, listen, by the way, it's really hard. I'm learning this now. I used to be able to say this to parents 10 years ago, and now I'm saying it like understanding that the schedules are so tough right now. Our kid, we're running around all the time, and it's two grown adults who have pretty average intelligence, and we're still having a hard time trying to figure out how to make it happen. It's hard. There's a lot. Sports are awesome. Clubs are awesome. Choir and band and musicals are awesome. They give our children. We're a big proponent of those kind of things and team sports and all those kind of things. But there's nothing like a faith community and what that gives your, your children. Do you guys hear me? Is it okay if I say this? There's nothing like a faith community. And all those things are great investments in your kid's future, but this is the better investment. Because if they're 15 right now or 5, you know, at, at 25, we believe that because of the investment you put in them and say, hey, let's come to church. Hey, let's go to Rooted. Hey, let's go to Treehouse Kids. Let's go to the winter retreat or summer, or summer camp. We believe that when they're 25 and 35, that that will be growing still fruit, that those seeds are growing fruit in their lives, and they'll still be following Jesus for a long time. You with me today? Can I say that to you? Is that okay? And, we, and listen, we're trying to, we, we try to struggle to make it happen sometimes. And we want our kids here, not just because we're pastors kid, they're pastors' kids, but because we believe in that. Whether we are pastors or not, we believe in the investment when it comes to church. Um, we recently went on a winter retreat, and we had several, we had, I think, three varsity athletes that came on our retreat that by coming to the winter retreat, they were missing a practice or a game. And if you know, like when you play in that varsity level of high school sports, that's not an easy decision to make. And, and some people lost starting position on the other side of that. And some people, uh, it was a really struggle for parents. And, and I appreciated parents and the teenagers who said, like, I want to be, like, I want to encounter God this weekend more than I care about this game. They, and, they, and these are athletes who are competitive and love their teams, but they made that choice. I'm just really proud of them for doing that. It's not, not an easy thing to do. It's a big commitment. I saw a video, I t- just posted, and Carrie and John Fox, I don't mean to like just make you feel embarrassed today. You guys are awesome. Oh, oh sorry. I, I saw a video that, that Carrie posted last night. I, it's just, I've watched it like 20 times. And it's of your son. We, we started like this new discipleship program on, in Treehouse Kids. And they're earning points, and it's really fun. And it's their son, John, like practicing so hard to get that memory verse and that Bible point. And he's doing, I hope he got it today. If he didn't, I'll go back and give him the stickers myself because he, he got it on the video. And it's just such a great picture. Like, and I love it. And I think I saw you in the comments say, like, he's got his Bible by his clothes, and he's ready to go. I love that. Come on, give them a hand. That's like, you're doing it good. What's that? Awesome. I'm glad. Listen, I just kept, I watched it this morning before I got up here to preach. It was just really, really cool. And there is an investment. That's what it is. And that's why it's so important to get. And listen, the thing with John is like, he's, how old is he? He's five. 
like we're going to pray that like when he's 15, like he's still that hungry for God's word. And when he's 25, like, and, and here's the thing, like my parents made choices that changed their normal and my kids are living in the benefit of that choice today. You guys are making choices right now that are going to affect your grandchildren. And that is awesome. And sometimes we, it's hard for us to think in that because, again, calendar's crazy. We're trying to get day to day. But, man, let's, like 25, John's going to be, like, rocking out his Bible and teaching his own kids how to do that. And I think that's awesome. And that's such a great picture. Get your kids involved. Get your kids to, to root it. It's, it's hard. It's, a, it's complicated. But it is a great investment into their future. And, listen, if you... If you're not upset by that, my email is pastordangreco at gmail.com. <laughs> pastordangreco at gmail.com. You can just, I'll reply to all of them. Okay. All right. All right. Last one today. We're going to receive communion also in a little bit. Claire, if you come. Last thing that just helps us to understand this is, is the name Paul. Saul had it be had a new name, and it became Paul. He had a name change. What makes this series a little bit unique, or what makes this message a little bit unique, is all the other people we've talked about up to this point, God instructed them to change their name, or gave them a new name. And I don't know if I thought this forever, if I just forgot. Like, There's no conversation where Jesus says, Saul, you will now become Paul. There's no instruction in that ever. And historically, like, scholars and commentators are really torn on, like, why is he sometimes called Saul? Why, why does he sometimes go by Paul? And, and some people will say, well, it's, you know, Saul is the Hebrew name, and, and Paul's kind of like the Greek name, and so he kind of just interchanged them. And, and some people said, well, he just decided to go that way because he was going to start reaching out to the Greeks, and it was a way to give credibility. But it's interesting. I, I, I just have thought about this a little bit, because from Acts chapter 7 to Acts chapter 12, Saul and Paul are interchangeable, but from Acts 13 on, he is only referred to as Paul. And here's the thing. Saul was a prestigious Hebrew name because it was named after the first king of Israel. And so it meant something. If you were named Saul, it, you were like, oh, he's going to be a big deal. He's, he's a Pharisee. He's a big, that's, they're, like, they're making a statement. Like if you name your kid LeBron... You're trying to say something. You're trying to say something. My, my sister is married, and her, her married name is James. And their last kid, who didn't turn out to be a boy, but I was trying to get her to name LeBron because it would have been LeBron James. So Some of you just got that, okay. But naming him Saul, it was a kingly name. I believe this is maybe what happened because Paul begins to go by little. That name means little. He went from being a kingly name to, to, for people to just be calling, to start calling him little. Some people thought maybe it's about his stature, but I think there's a sense of humility in that. Here was a guy who was a terrorist, was opposing Jesus. He had an encounter with Jesus. He encountered grace. And he started to say, I'm small, really. And I'm carrying this with humility now. And if you guys know the, the, the history of how the name Christians came about, came about in a very mocking way in the early church. People were saying, well, those are little Christ. Those are Christ juniors. And I wonder if there's a tie in there to Paul saying, I, I just want to be a little bit like Jesus at this point in my life. John the Baptist proclaimed something that we should proclaim every day. 
we get to wake up. John 3.30, he said this. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. And I think my question to you in this, whatever it is, whatever the label is to you, are you willing and where you're at with your influence and the roles that you play in your life to make his name famous? Because I think that's what Paul was doing. Saying, I don't want my name to be famous anymore. I want his name to be famous. Not, it's not about my agenda. It's not about like how good I look to people. But what, what does it look like to say, like, I'm going to approach life saying, like, I want his name to be famous. I, what does it look like in our homes to say, I want the name of Jesus to be famous? More than maybe like the name Mowerman to be famous. Or more than just dad. I'm the dad. I know how to think. But what if it's, what if Jesus becomes the way? What if he becomes more famous than that? And I think that's why Paul took on that name. Because he was willing to say, I don't want my name. I want his name to be famous. And he, he did that, I believe, in so many ways. Let's pray together. Will you bow your heads for a moment? And ushers, if you'd like, you can begin to prepare for communion. I just want to, as your heads are bowed, I know there's some people moving around. I want you just to take a moment and just let me ask you about these four things right now. Maybe you have a prayer here. Maybe as I was talking about one of these things today, something resonated with you. But let's talk just for a moment just about your Tarsus, your past. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Dre, like I heard a thing about your parents. I'm like I want to change the story. I want to change the narrative in our, in our family. Like there's too many things like that are just I've accepted as normal and I, I want my identity to change and it, it, I know that if Saul can do it God can use Saul he can use me if that's you today with nobody looking around just raise your hand and say Pastor will you pray for me about that I want the story in our family to just, just flip and change today there's several hands up thank you you can put them down maybe you're here today and just say hey I'm, you can put your hands down You can, and maybe you're here today and just say, Paul had this amazing encounter with Jesus. And man, I want to know what that is. I don't want to just know stuff about Jesus. I want to have a relationship with him. I want every day to really get to know him more. I want to, I want his, his way to influence my life. If you're here today and just say, hey, Pastor Dave, will you pray for me? I, I really want to encounter more of Jesus in my life today. Thank you for lifting your hands. You can put them down today. We talked about Ananias. Talked about drawing near to others. Maybe getting involved in a branches group. Maybe committing to serve more in the church. Maybe just recommitment to having your kids involved more. Or finding a Saul to invest in to encourage. To encourage. If that resonates with you and you say, Hey, Pastor Dre, will you pray for me about that area? Will you just lift up your hand today? Awesome. Thank you so much. And last... Maybe all of our hands are up on this one. I don't know. Just willing to make his name famous today. Decreasing so that he can increase his will, not my will. If that's you today, that resonates with you. We just say, hey, I want that to be the way of life today. Awesome. You guys can put your hands down. I want to pray for you. And then, ushers, you can come. You can go ahead and start preparing. But let's pray today. Jesus, thank you for the hands that are raised. Thank you for the things that you're speaking today in our life. Thank you for Saul who's there for us to see like if you can change him you can change us I pray for those of us here today that our past is just man it's just informing our future right now 
I just pray that you would just break generational curses off our lives today. You would change the narrative, change the story today. I pray for those of us in the room, we have a real desire to encounter you in just a new way. Lord, I pray that you would meet with us this week. pray that you would get us hungry for your word. You remind us to do our high five prayer. And just as we ask you to speak, that you would speak. Open up our ears to hear you, Lord. And I, I pray for those of us who just say, hey, I, I, I want to be an Ananias to somebody. Or I, I want to be, I want to jump in. I've been hesitant to get really involved in the church. But today's the day. I'm just going to cross the line today. Lord, I pray that you give us courage to do those things. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to make your name famous wherever we are this week. Start in our homes, in our schools, in our classrooms, in our jobs, in this community. Let us live in such a way that points people to you.